0: And the last one that we're going to talk about today, our last core value, and I promise, unless by some miracle God drops another one in my heart this week, it's going to be six, and we're going to start something new next week, um, Lord willing. But the last one that God put on my heart this, this past week as I was praying and seeking God's wisdom is something that it's kind of a buzzword right now um, in church work and in church ministry. And I think it can be misconstrued, and I think it can be misunderstood. So I'm going to do my best to explain it today because it's so vital to, I believe, the heartbeat of our church. Um, and it's simply this. As a church, uh, our, core, one of, our, our last core value, and really it kind of bases everything else off of this one in a way, is that we are a gospel-centered church. We are gospel-centered. I have each core value, the word of God communicated, the praise of God given, and things like that. And for gospel-centered, it's the work of Jesus anchored upon the work of jesus anchored upon everything we do everything that's preached everything that's sung every community outreach event that we have even in the construction work that we're doing it's all based on what god has done for us through his son jesus christ and what we are striving to do for a lost world by sharing the gospel of jesus christ does that make sense centered on the gospel you can say you know well you know isn't that people say well what about being christ centered and, and and for this message and for the sake you know i i was reading up on this and studying about this and people were trying to say there's a difference for us gospel centered is christ centered there's no there's no you know we're not going to split hairs over things people want to do that i'm not much of a hair splitter i don't do that our heart is we're gospel centered we are christ centered it's one and the same we're focused on the work of Jesus Christ and what He can do for us. We are centered on Jesus Christ, gospel centered. There is no area in our lives, in our ministry, there is no area that is outside the scope of the gospel. We have to remember that from the work in the nursery uh, uh, to to if there's ever a prison ministry or if you know when we're doing construction when we're painting walls, there's no area of our ministry, and I hope of your life personally, that's outside the scope of the gospel. There's no area in our lives that the gospel does not speak to. That's why I see books on gospel-centered parenting, gospel-centered marriages, gospel-centered churches, gospel-centered workplaces, gospel-centered leadership, all these different things, because there's no area of our lives that's outside of that. We have to realize that even the leisure that we have, even the pleasure that we have in our lives that's, that's good and that's healthy, is based on the fact that we have a God that loves us enough to give us abundant life and to enjoy things on the, in this fallen world. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have to remember that. So we are gospel-centered. So I'm going to answer a few questions this morning and try to get through these notes as quickly as I can. Um, you have your, your, your papers there. I'll, I'll try to remember to let you know the first ones right now. What does it mean? What does the word gospel mean? You know, And I think you probably already know it. You probably already written it down. Uh, it means good news. Gospel means good news. Uh, To be gospel-centered is to be focused on the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. To be gospel-centered is to be focused on the life-changing good news of Jesus Christ. William Tyndale, uh, uh, the the pioneer translator from the 1500s, said this. and He he, he used the Greek word for gospel, which is uh, evangelion. And he said, Evangelion is a Greek word signifying good, merry, glad, and joyful news that makes a man's heart glad and makes him sing, dance, and leap for joy. William Tyndale said that, this this pioneer translator from 1525, a long time ago. And he said that, and he was killed for his stand for the gospel and for the word of God. It's amazing that something that is so happy and joyful People hate so much. William Tyndale paid for those words and sealed them with a martyr's death. So the gospel, it's the good news. There's a couple of scriptures we want to look at this morning as we're kind of working through this introduction. The gospel is a message to be proclaimed and believed. Mark 14, in 1, verse 14 and 15 says this. Now after that John was put in prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. The gospel is a message to be proclaimed and believed. It's also the point of the whole Bible. The gospel is the point of the whole Bible, Galatians 3.8, and the scripture Foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached before the gospel unto Abraham saying, in thee, all nations be blessed. The gospel is the point of the whole Bible. I think I've mentioned that before. Every story, every story of deliverance, every story of victory in the scriptures points to a greater victory. Every resurrection that you see the bones being made to life in the Old Testament and, and, and the sacrificial uh, ram with Abraham and Isaac, all that points to a greater sacrifice, a greater resurrection, a greater victory in His Jesus Christ. The gospel is the point of the whole Bible. The gospel comes from God above. Uh, Galatians 1, 11 and 12 says, but I certify you brethren that the gospel which was preached of me is not after man. It wasn't written by us. It wasn't written. It was, uh, for I neither received it of it of man. Paul's saying this to the church of Galatia. Neither was I taught it, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is from God above. And the gospel is worthy of of our utmost, of our everything. The gospel is worthy of it all. Philippians 1, Paul again writing to the church of Philippi. What does he say? Verse 27, only let your conversation be, your attitude, your lifestyle, that's conversation, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, uh, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing terrified by our adversaries, which to them uh, is, is to them a token, an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which he saw in me, and now here to be in me. It's worthy of our everything. The gospel doesn't just mean you know, everything's honky-dory and everything's peachy-keen, everything's great. Paul's saying, listen, yes, believe, but also suffer for his sake. Uh, Living life, living a gospel-centered life doesn't mean it's going to be our definition of an easy life and a comfortable life, but it's worth it. It's worthy of our everything. And when we talk about living gospel-centered, when we talk about having a gospel-centered church, that being one of our core values, focused on the work of Jesus Christ and focused on who Jesus Christ is and what he's done for us and what he's continually doing for us, there's really two ways you can look at those words, gospel-centered, and we're going to look at those quickly. Uh, There's a gospel-centered worldview, and there's gospel-centered growth. We'll look at both of them really quickly as we move on today. Gospel-centered worldview. Uh, I'm sorry, I had that verse up there, Galatians 3.8. We saw that. The gospel-centered worldview is viewing all of life in light of the gospel. You can write that down. Gospel-centered worldview. Viewing all of life in light of the gospel. Think about think about what it means when we say someone is self-centered. Not goblin. when they, we say someone is self-centered. And we don't mean, when we say that, that all like that, that every single thing that in their life is directly about themselves. Now, th- those people that are, that may be self-centered, I've been self-centered. Doesn't mean that I didn't think about the food I was eating or what I was going to wear or, you know, how I'm going to, you know, write an email. It's not like every thought in my mind is about Donald Savini in that moment. Um, That's not what self-centered means, but, but what it means is that self informs all of those other decisions. Everything I choose to do, everywhere I choose to go, everything, every decision that I make in my life, uh, it's all passed through the filter of self. That's what matters. I am the I am the one that knows all. I know what's best for me. So every decision I make is passed through the filter of self. I what I think, what I want, trumps everything else. It trumps what God wants, it trumps what my family wants, it trumps everything else. And all the loves and desires of my life uh, uh, follow that that mindset accordingly, this self-centeredness. But in a similar way, to be gospel-centered, it doesn't mean that our families and our jobs and things like that don't matter and all we think about is every moment of the day, Jesus on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension, and that's all we think about. But it means that every choice that we make, instead of filtering it through self, instead of filtering it through what I want and what I think, everything in life, is viewed in light of the gospel, this gospel-centered worldview. Everything passed through the filter of the gospel, of Jesus. Not necessarily a what would Jesus do kind of thing, although you've heard that before, but but what Jesus has done and what he is doing now, that trumps everything else. That is what I base my choices and decisions on. Listen, I I can be out hitting a bucket of balls at the driving range. And listen, I'm not thinking about Jesus. By the way, I did on Friday, and I did pretty good, to be honest. I felt, bad. I felt really good about that. That wasn't that good. That was a good day for me. And uh, I brought my father-in-law out, and it was the best thing I've ever seen in my life. You'll have to ask. You need, everyone that hasn't talked to my father, say, hey, I heard you started golfing. Did you like it? I want you to please do that. I'm asking you to do that, please, for me. But, but, uh, but even when I'm out enjoying myself, and en- you know what it is? It, it, and the basis of it, I may be focused on my stand, things like that, but at the end of it all, I can say, man, thank you, Lord. For, for allowing me to do this. Give me a hobby. I don't have a lot of hobbies. and This is, this is fun. I'm, enjoy- I'm enjoying your creation. This is great. This is nice. Everything that I decide is based in light of the gospel. We really, some people over-spiritualize things. We've heard that. But a lot of us, you know what we do? We under-spiritualize things. We forget that God is and wants to be involved in every single part of our lives. We forget that gospel-centered worldview is when we look at our job, when we look at our families, when I look at my children, when I look at my wife, when I look at, obviously, this church, when, I, when I'm at the grocery store shopping and in, 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 in contact with people that I may never see again, everything, every choice, every word I say... Filtered through the gospel of Jesus Christ of what Christ has done, we have to train our minds to do that. It's Holy Spirit power and it's the grace of Christ that allows us to live that way. We have to have some discipline in our lives. God gives us enough strength to say, "Well, I'm going to make some choices. I'm going to think about this. I'm not just going to be flipping in my decision making any longer. I'm going to have a gospel-centered worldview. The things I do, the places I go." It's all going to be filtered, not through man-made religious stipulations, not through uh, just the, how I grew up and how I think about things, but what the Word of God says and what Jesus Christ has done. My decisions are going to be based upon that. The thoughts I think, the relationships that I have, the feelings that I have, filtered through the gospel of Christ, gospel-centered worldview. But a gospel-centered growth, gospel-centered growth, viewing Christian progress as dependent on the gospel. Viewing Christian progress as dependent on the gospel. And the basis of this type of of being gospel-centered, gospel-centered growth, you know what that's based on? The basis of this is us recognizing something in our lives of gospel-centered growth. Viewing Christian progress as dependent on the gospel. When we think about gospel-centered growth, this is what we have to remember every day of our lives. When we wake up in the morning, we have to recognize our ongoing struggle with sin and our ongoing need for grace. We have to remember that. When we get out of that habit of remembering that I'm a mess, I'm, I struggle with sin because I have flesh. I am not fully. Grace has not completed its work in me because I'm not standing before my Savior. I have an ongoing struggle with sin and an ongoing need for grace. That is the basis, the foundation of gospel-centered growth, personal Christian progress. Listen, our human hearts, deceitful uh, above all things, desperately wicked, the Bible says. The twisted fallenness of our human heart, you know what it shows itself in? How we always are trying to atone ourselves. These self-atonement strategies that we have in our lives. The natural flesh, the default of our human heart, what we naturally go to, including Christians' hearts, by the way, not just a lost world, but even us, we're always, our hearts are always wandering. We're always searching for, for, for something to latch on to for significance, we are. It's so natural for us. We, we, we want to know that we matter. We want to feel okay about ourselves. That's just the natural default of our human heart, isn't it? Is that true, Church? Would you agree with that statement? That is the natural heart. We're looking for something. Whether you're whether you're you know a middle aged man or a young teenage girl, it doesn't matter. We're looking for significance, maybe in our jobs, in our families, in relationships, in money, whatever. Fill in the blank. That is where our hearts wander, and it's so easy to miss. Think about it. If you live that way your entire life without even realizing it, it's not like you recognize it. You have to be told. You have to be reminded. You have to be willing to admit, yeah, I do do that. It's so subtle, and it's often very difficult to root out because we don't want to admit that about ourselves. We think we got it, but we're sinners, church. We're sick with the sickness of sin, This is a fallen world. You're a broken person. I'm a broken person. But the far-reaching grace of the gospel, you know what that does with this restless and wandering heart? It calms it. The grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it calms our hearts. It draws us into this freedom that we never could experience in any other part of our life, searching for significance. We think, if I can just accomplish this in my life, if I can just get married, if I can just have kids, if I can just get a promotion, if I can just whatever, fill in the blank, if I can just do this, then I will have peace in my heart. Then I will have freedom in my soul. And it's just a lie of the enemy. But the grace of the gospel, that draws us into the freedom of not needing to measure up. I don't need, listen, do I want that promotion? Sure, I'm going to work towards it, but if I don't get it, I'm okay because of Jesus. Hey, I want to get married one day, and I'm hoping I get married, but if God chooses to have me to be single for a couple more years I'm, or forever, then I'm going to be okay with that because Jesus is enough for me. Hey, I want to have kids, and I want to raise kids, but if I don't have that opportunity, uh, listen, yes, I'll be disappointed, and there'll be some sorrow in my heart, but God is enough, and Christ is enough, and the grace of the gospel, let me be okay. Jesus measured up on our behalf. We don't have to measure up. There's a great song, and it says, uh, uh, it says, I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing that I could do to let you down. Talking about the Lord, Church. Church, we have to remember the grace of the gospel is what brings real freedom. This is not a self-promoting uh, uh, you know, message. I'm not trying to say that. I'm not saying you're really special and you're really great. But in Christ, we matter to him. So when you feel like you don't matter to a spouse or to your parents or to your kids or to your boss or whatever, fill in the blank, you have to remember that, you know what, even if that's all true, because those things, man, listen, you all know someone that has a really rough backstory or a rough life, and they, man, they weren't loved by their parents or whatever. I mean, listen, we were just talking about some bus teenagers. I was just talking to a young man from my youth group, a young man that has a baby now, and his family, like his dad's in jail for murder, and his mom's a mess, and he's just trying to, I sent him some money for diapers for his kid, because he's just got nothing. He's got nothing. Rough life. But you know what I want that young man to recognize? That even if he has no one else, he has Jesus. That's what makes everything all right. It doesn't mean the world's going great. It doesn't mean your job situation's perfect. It doesn't mean your marriage doesn't have its flaws and its issues, but it means that Jesus doesn't have any of those things. Jesus doesn't have any flaws. There's no issues with him. He is enough. We're clothed in his righteousness. Not in our false solutions of righteousness, of our own righteousness. We're clothed in His righteousness, so we're okay. And that that calm, that peace is the the soil in which true godliness grows. Not in us just trying to, to do it on our own. Like, I can just be really good. No, it's His righteousness. And the calmness of that, and the peace of knowing that in Jesus Christ, he is enough for me, and I am enough because he is enough because of that. It's not about me. I'm so great. No, it's, I'm nothing without him. But listen, I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. It doesn't mean I can do whatever I want. It's just anything that comes into my life, I can, I'll be okay because of him. Gospel-centeredness, having a gospel-centered life, gospel-centered growth, It. it, it it funnels the gospel out to unbelievers in this worldview, and it also funnels it into our own hearts in this gospel centered growth. That's what the gospel does. The good news about God's grace of Jesus Christ is the supreme resource that we dive into, that we draw from. It's the well that never runs dry. The grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Understand that, church. Believe that for your own life. The gospel, and this is the next blank, the gospel, saying all that really, you can throw it into one statement, the gospel is a home, not a hotel. The gospel is a home, not a hotel. It's not somewhere that we visit once in a while. I'm so glad I'm saved. And there's nothing wrong with the testifying of the grace of God for salvation and then forgetting about the rest of the week. That's the problem. The gospel is a home. It's where we live. It's where we reside. It's not somewhere that we visit once in a while when we're down and out. It's not somewhere that we visit once a week on Sunday mornings. The gospel is a home, not a hotel. It's not just the gateway to the Christian life because it's through the gospel. For by grace are you saved through faith. Not of yourselves; it's a gift of God. Not of course any man should boast. Yes, the gospel of Christ is the gateway to the Christian life, but it's also the pathway of the Christian life. We don't just say, "Hey, I'm saved by the gospel. Now I better figure it out all on my own." No, 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 no. It's the continuing pathway of the Christian life. Realize that it's not just the gateway; it's the pathway. Why do you think Paul? Why do you think Paul constantly reminded people, Christian people, churches of the gospel? Romans one sixteen, he says, "I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ." I'm not ashamed of it. Uh, 1 Corinthians 15, 3 and 4, look what he says. For I delivered unto you, first of all, his first message, his first, what was his main focus? That which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. Listen, that was it. That's why he reminded him. He, that was his main focus for the churches that he spoke with. Listen, we move forward in discipleship and in Christian growth, not, not through, you know, me giving you pep talks and, and stern warnings. and remind, No, it's not, that's not what it's about. I'm not just trying to get you pumped up for the day and then you're, the rest of the week you're like, oh, listen, it's, it's not, that's not what discipleship is. That's not what true Christian growth is based on. Me just screaming until I'm red in the face and you feeling bad about yourself and saying, well, I better start doing that. That's not true growth. That's a false, that's a false growth. That's not real growth. Listen, we move forward as Christians, there is Christian progress as a Christian. There, there is gr- uh, gracious growth as a Christian when we hear, when we hear afresh, even if we've heard it a billion times, you think of that song, I love to tell the story from those who know it best. We love to, even though we've known, we know the gospel, we've heard it, every time we hear it, hearing afresh the beauty of grace. And when we when we listen to the gospel, when we think of the gospel with fresh ears, with, when we see it with fresh eyes of what God has done for you, what Christ is doing for you, listen, that is what relaxes our hearts in those times of, of apathy, in those times of struggle, in those times of fear. The, the calmness of the grace of God, it relaxes our hearts. And you know what it does? We loosen that grip, that clenched fist that we're holding on to something else for significance, a relationship, a spouse, our kids, our job, money, an addiction, whatever it is, we loosen our grip When the grace of Christ and we hear it with fresh ears. Man, we loosen that grip on those lesser things of life. Paul said, I count all things but dung for the excellency of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's all about the gospel. We don't need financial security is not where we base our significance. Of the perfect spouse, achievement in our careers, that's not the foundation of our peace and joy. No, it's Jesus Christ. And with those two types of gospel-centeredness, gospel-centered worldview and gospel-centered growth, one, the first one looks out, gospel-centered worldview. I'm looking at the world in light of the gospel, life in light of the gospel. And the second one looks in, uh, uh, gospel-centered growth. I need the gospel to grow in my own life. And that's what it means to be gospel-centered. So why is this so important? Why, Pastor, why is it so important that you made This gospel-centered, one of our core values, why is it so important? And really, there's only one right answer for this, and it's simply because it's biblical. It's biblical. The Bible commands us to to have gospel-centered ministries and and to have gospel-centered churches and to live a gospel-centered life. In the book of Corinthians, Paul's ministry there in Corinth uh, was decidedly gospel-centered. Look what it says in, in, in 1 Corinthians 2-2 2-2 two, two in these scriptures. In verse 2 he says, For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and Him crucified. That's what he based every church he started on. His life. Uh, to, his testimony to the churches at Galatia was the same. Look what it says in Galatians. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. Uh, uh, he was top priority. Uh, this urgency that he had in his heart look what it says in this last verse in the same to the church of corinth verse 16 of chapter 9 for though i preach the gospel i have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me yea woe is unto me if i preach not the gospel why is it so important because it's biblical church i'm going to do my best as pastor in the leadership of this church and as we move forward to remain centered on gospel on jesus not on issues Not on programs, but on the gospel. Does that mean we'll never have any doesn't mean we're not gonna have any programs? It doesn't mean we're never gonna talk about the issues of our time. But it's Jesus, everything viewed in the light of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So what does it look like? What does it look like to live a gospel-centered life? What does it look like to have a gospel-centered church? How does it apply in our lives? When we speak of a person that's living a gospel-centered life, we read this. We mean that the person has believed the gospel of Jesus Christ and has made the death and resurrection of Christ the very foundation of his or her life. That's the foundation. Everything else comes after that. A true Christian must be a gospel-centered person. We have to. We have to live that way because Christianity is not just an activity. It's a lifestyle. It's who we are. It's not something we do on Sundays. It's who we are. We're followers, disciples of Jesus Christ, children of God. We have to remember that. Knowing about Christ does not make me a Christian, but knowing Christ, believing on Christ, that's what makes me a Christian. Luke 14, verse 26 and 27 says this. If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also he cannot be my disciple. And whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That doesn't mean we hate our families. It just means that, that Christ is that big of a deal in our lives. The foundation that compared to our dependence and love and, 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 and our clinging to Christ it makes it seem like nothing else matters. And the truth is, if without Christ, nothing else does matter. Every life, every human life, all of our lives have a center which motivates all of our decisions. Every one of us does. You do, I do. We have a center. We're either gospel-centered or we're me-centered. That's just it. Say, no, 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 I I base my decisions on on what my children need. Well, that's, you're saying that those are yours and yours alone. And you're letting them, listen, it's either gospel-centered or me-centered. Even people who are kind and who are good and who are nice, they can be me-centered if their purpose is not to glorify God. Listen, we we can apply this gospel-centeredness to any part of our lives. Gospel-centered parenting. For example, I want to give you an example of this. Gospel-centered dating let's just talk about that gospel-centered dating let's show you can apply these principles really in anything gospel-centered dating doesn't mean that every date that someone goes on they're sharing the gospel with that person that's not what gospel-centered dating is that i'm gonna see how many people how many dates i can go on and share the gospel that's not what it is but it would be dating that refuses to build a sense of worth uh, uh, on whom they're dating on who they're dating on what they think of us I'm happy that they can provide for me if it works out long term. It's not based, gospel center dating is not that kind of dating. It's the opposite. It would be letting Jesus be the one who saves us, not this boyfriend or girlfriend, not this person that I'm, I'm dating. And Jesus saves us, not just from judgment in the future. Uh, uh, when, I, when I pass into the next life and into, into heaven or into hell. Not just save me from that judgment, but Jesus saved me from the judgment of the person sitting across the dinner table at this restaurant on this date. They don't determine my peace and joy. The, the success of what's going on between me and you at this table does not determine how I feel about, uh, about life and about myself and about my future. Dating can be truly enjoyed if we go into every day, into every evening with a heart center the gospel. And again, this is just an example. We could apply this in parenting, in marriages, in workplaces. It all is the same. Listen, for gospel center dating, and think about your own life. You know, none of you are dating, as far as I know, uh, besides you guys are dating. But, but I mean, the rest of us are in relationships. We're not going on a bunch of days trying to find somebody. Think about as a parent. Think about as uh, an, employ- an employee of a company. Think about you know, as a husband or a wife. If we know that we are accepted and approved in Jesus, acceptance and approval by the person sitting across the table on this date loses its significance. I'm not concerned as with that anyway. That's not, that's not, I'm not stressed about that. I know that I'm accepted in Jesus Christ. If we know that God delights in us with this, this invincible favor and love uh, that he loves us, nothing can, nothing can take that love away then even a bad date, it it may disappoint us, but it's not going to crush us. Because we know that we have a God who knows what's going on. We have a God that knows my life and knows my story, and he loves me. If we know that no matter what happens in a relationship, that we will always have Christ. That's gospel-centered dating. Whatever happens, I always have Christ. He's my everything. Then, then, Then we are freed from having our mood dictated by the success of our dating life. Because we have Christ. Even if dates go well with someone early on, it's only a matter of time before that boyfriend or girlfriend disappoints you or a spouse disappoints you and lets us down. But there's only one that never lets us down. It's Jesus Christ. You see how you can take those principles and apply them in any gospel-centered marriages, gospel-centered parenting. We're not letting our kids rule our mood if they're not listening. I just was speaking earlier about our son Seth and the challenges that he's been having recently. I'm telling you, It is disappointing. Sometimes I feel like we're losing ground. This past week, I felt like we lost. In certain times, I felt like I was speaking the devil, here he's coming. I feel like I was losing a little bit of ground. And that's a dangerous place to be as a believer. I I was singing because he lives. How many times have we sung because he lives in our lives? A thousand billion times. And I'm singing this morning, and it just took on a different meaning this morning. I know who holds the future. All fear is gone. It's going to be all right. He's going to be all right. I can't, let, I can't let a diagnosis, I can't let autism rule my spirit. Can I be disappointed? Can there be concern? Yes. I know God gives grace for that. I, if I didn't care, that would be a problem. But I can't let that care and concern turn into fear and turn into anger, turn into this consuming worry. I must live a gospel-centered life that even when things are troublesome, even when things are tough, I have Jesus Christ. A gospel-centered life is the only life that can truly be enjoyed no matter the circumstances. That's it. Nothing can threaten our source, our, our sense of worth nothing can threaten our sense of identity in a gospel-centered life because nothing can defeat Jesus Christ. Nothing can take away the gospel of Christ. Nothing changes what he did and what he is doing. That is the only life that can truly be enjoyed, this life where Jesus Christ, the King of kings, the Son of God who was God, is my friend. What a life to live. What a life to live. I want to finish with this. I'm going to read you this list, and then we'll just share our purpose statement and be done. The difference between living a life based on, let's just use, for lack of a better term, religion. This is not gospel-centered life. This is living a life based, kind of more me-centered. If I do all these things, then I will have a happy spiritual life. I'll have a happy uh, life with my marriage and kids. And then there's religion versus living a gospel-centered life. So for the first thing, in religion, I obey, therefore I'm accepted. And in the gospel, uh, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. See the difference there? One says, if I do this, and I'm accepted. And the other one says, well, no, I'm accepted, then I will obey because of the grace he's given to me. It's a big difference. We're not focused on me doing all this. The next one, motivation is based on fear and insecurity. I've lived that life, I've, that was most of my life. Motivation is fear and insecurity. That's religion. That's, that's me-centeredness. But with the gospel, motivation is based on grateful joy. I'm not afraid of that. If I don't do this, then my life's going to fall apart. No, it's like I know that no matter what happens in my life, God is good to me and Jesus is there. And with that grateful joy, I will serve him. I will live my life. I obey, I obey God in order to get things from God. That's often... This me-centeredness. If I do all these things, then life will be easy. Then I'll get this, and I'll get that. My prayers will be answered. In the gospel, I obey God to get God, to delight, and to resemble, and to be more like him. Follow me as I follow Christ. The Bible talks about imitating Christ. That's the gospel. I obey God to be close to him. I obey God I obey God to, to be more like him. It's out of joy. It's out of uh, 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 his grace in my life. When circumstances and my life go wrong, I am angry at God, or I'm angry at myself, since I believe that anyone who is good deserves a comfortable life. Oftentimes we get to that place, church, man, I'm doing all the right things. Why is this happening to me? But that's me centeredness. When circumstances in my life though, Go wrong, I struggle, but I know my punishment fell on Jesus and that while God may allow this for my training, this trial, this trouble, he will exercise his fatherly love within my trial. That's having a gospel-centered view of life and of growth. When I'm criticized, I'm furious or devastated because it is critical that I think of myself as a good person. Threats to my self-image must be destroyed at all costs. I should sign my name right on this one. That's me-centeredness. But in the gospel, when I am criticized, I struggle. But it is not essential for me to think of myself as a good person. My identity is not built on my record or my performance, but on God's love for me in Christ. It's about Him. In religion, in me-centeredness, my prayer life consists largely of petition, And it only heats up when I'm in time of need. My main purpose in prayer is control of the environment. I want things to go my way. I want things to be comfortable. But in the gospel, living a gospel-centered life, my prayer life consists of generous stretches of praise and adoration. My main purpose is fellowship with God. And I found this wonderful comparison uh, uh, from from an author on the gospel Uh, This is not mine. I want you to know that. The next one is, my self-view swings between two poles. If and when I'm living up to my standards, I feel confident. But then I am prone to be proud and unsympathetic to failing people and the people that fall. If and when I'm not living up to standards, I feel humble but not confident. I feel like a failure. We swing between these two spots. But in the gospel, my self-view is not based on my moral achievement. In Christ, I, I I am sinful and, and I'm, I'm, I'm lost without Christ, but, but I'm accepted in Christ. I may be in the flesh and I may have, the this, this sin may still come I may still struggle, but I'm in Christ. I, I, he had to die for me. I'm loved. He was glad to die for me. The joy that was set before him, this leads, this truth leads to deep humility and confidence at the same time. Knowing that you're not enough, but he is enough. That's a gospel-centered view of life. My identity and self-worth are based mainly on how hard I work and how moral I am. And so I, must, I'm, and so I must look down on those I perceive as lazy or immoral. Man, isn't that something that some of us may struggle with? That's me-centered. That's religion. But the gospel, Jesus Christ, my identity and self-worth are centered on the one who died for me. I am saved by grace, and I can't look down on those uh, 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 you know, on, on others for just not being like me. It's only by grace that I am who I am. But Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. So there's sh- grace shown to other people in my lives, People that, that might be lost, that might look, think differently than I do about something. I'm going to show grace. I may disagree. I may try to bring them to the truth. But I love them. I show grace to them. That is a gospel view. And the last one says this. Since I look to my own pedigree or performance for my spiritual acceptability my heart manufactures idols listen to this church it may be my talents my moral record my personal discipline my social status etc i absolutely have to have them so they serve as my main hope my meaning my happiness my security my significance whatever i may say that i believe whatever i may say that i believe about god i need those idols in my life to be okay that's that is me centeredness, but with the gospel, I have many good things in my life family, work, spiritual disciplines, etc. But none of these good things are ultimate things to me. None of them are things I absolutely have to have. So there is a limit to how much anxiety or bitterness and despondency they can inflict on me when they are threatened and lost. Listen, we have got to live lives that are centered on Jesus Christ. We've got to be a church that is centered on, what if, what if our landlord came in now and there was a breach of contract and something weird happened, I don't know how all that worked, and said, you need to leave now. And we lost everything. and All the hours put in were gone. All the money donated was a waste. And some by some crazy situation, we were out. Out the door, locks changed. That's it. Would we give up? Would it not be worth it? Would I, as pastor, be okay? Well, living a gospel-centered life, the answer is yes. I would be okay. Would there be disappointment? Sure. Would there be maybe some annoyance? Would there be maybe some battling? Hey, We've got to figure this out. Sure. But at the end of the day, if we lost everything, we have got Jesus Christ. And because of that truth, because of that beautiful truth, we're okay. So in your life, when things aren't going well, in your life, when things don't make sense, in your life, when you're not getting what you want, it's time to step back and say, okay, what what are my idols right now? What am I focused on? What am I centered on? Because it sure ain't the gospel. It sure ain't Jesus Christ. We, as a church, we've got to stay gospel-centered. And I believe that that starts with each one of us in our personal lives living gospel-centered lives. In our marriages, in our parenting, in our jobs, in our personal lives, in our hearts. purpose statement is this, and we're done. coastline is a place where Jesus is at the center of all that we do. Our mission, our heart, and everything we are reflects the gospel. Those are our core values, church. Remember them. Think about them. As we step forward as a church over the next few months and the next years, let us go back to these things. Let us be reminded of of what we say we're all about. And it all, I believe, starts. If we can stay gospel-centered, I believe the Bible preaching and the authentic worship and the welcoming spirit and the stand for truth and the love and action will follow suit.